Let's talk books. Catherine Ross is Library Manager at Mount Roskill Grammar School. She joins me now. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. How are you? Very well, thank you. As always, you've got a theme. And what is your theme this week? So this week I'm looking at um, historical fiction, but from a female perspective. Um, so I did do historical fiction, a, a theme of, um, I think, last year, but it is my favourite genre, so I was looking for an excuse to do it again. Yeah, and quite a, quite a rich sort of... Um, mine of, of of material i imagine because um the idea of putting um, hearing from a woman in those times where uh, the male voice was so dominant males really created a lot of the history and wrote about all the history and, and women largely invisible yep absolutely so it's actually become a very popular topic um, as authors try and put women uh, back in the historical narrative, mm. and I think you're right. It tends to be uh, lumped together, men and women, and this is what was happening in history. But of course, um, they, it's very different um, depending on where you are in society and who you are. Um, and so I think that what people are trying to do is is look at it, find women that were involved in these events that were living through them, and look at how it impacted on their lives, um, and just put them back in the narrative. Um, and it's not a feminist agenda necessarily, it's just a different lens to look at history mm. through, one that up to this point has quite often been ignored or sort of clumped in with everything else. Where do we begin then with ages 10 and 11 plus? Yeah, so possibly a little bit on the more mature side of that age group. So the first one is um, Yankee Girl. Um, so this is set in 1964, and it's narrated in America. It's narrated by 11-year-old Alice, so it's sort of from that viewpoint. Um, she has moved recently from Chicago, obviously in the north of America, to Mississippi in the very deep, segregated and Jim Crow South. Now, her, her family's moved because, interestingly, her father is an FBI agent um, who was relocated to help keep order and uh, compliance, I guess, um, as Mississippi very slowly comes to terms with the fact that they are being forced to desegregate um, and they really don't want to. Um, so the, the federal government had to step in and actually send FBI agents down to make sure that that was happening. Um, so this has this, this sort of amazing kind of conflict um, so poor old Alice's family has run-ins with the Ku Klux Klan and it's sort of rather fiery, if you get what I mean, way of doing things. Mm. Um, she is despised at school as a Yankee because obviously historical grudges still run deep. But from what I understand, they still do today. Um, but obviously the bullying that she is receiving is nothing compared to her classmate, Valerie, who is the first coloured girl uh, that the school has been forced mm. to accept since desegregation. So... I mean, it's pretty hard-hitting and horrible in its subject matter, obviously, but writing it from that point of view of an 11-year-old girl makes it easier. Yeah. Um, and and speaking, speaking as the owner of a 12-year-old girl, um, <laughs> of a 12-year-old daughter, you think that they might shy away from this sort of stuff. You think, oh, it'll be too heavy for them. Often they love it. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it's all about the history and, and trying to put yourself um, in that narrative and in that story. Um, and I think that for me, the fascinating thing about this is it's actually based on the author, Marianne Rodman's own experiences. Um, so her father was an FBI agent and they were relocated when she was 11 down south. Um, so it's not a true story as such, um, but she's taken other historical stories, that true stories, and her own experiences and, and made the story. So um, absolutely, and it's a great way of introducing kids to, to that, to sort of the civil rights movement, which, let's face it, is still going on. Um, all around the world and in America too. 
Thank you. That's called Yankee Girl by Marianne Rodman. Um, how about Interned, your next choice? Yeah, so Interned, this is a really interesting one. I was kind of drawn to it because it's a part of history that I didn't know very much about. So I think it's worth, you know, kids learning it at this kind of age through historical narrative. Um, it is set in 1914, the outbreak of World War One, and it um, is set in Australia, and it follows two young women who have very different lives, but ultimately find themselves in the same sort of rather unfortunate place. So Greta is German, but she's had the bad luck of being in a British colony because that's where her father is based working um, at the outbreak of World War One. Um, and Tilly, uh, who is the same age, is lives in Australia, and she is uh, born and raised in Australia, but she has a German father. So both uh, families are picked up as enemy aliens and they're literally put into a prisoner of war camp um, in sort of isolated rural New South Wales um, because they're Germans. um, And obviously we were at war with the Germans. So it's not something that we know very much about or certainly something I didn't know very much about. Um, It's a well-paced narrative, I think, for this age group. And I think that using the alternating voices of these two very, very different girls who've got very different worldviews is a great device to allow um, the author, Pamela Rushby, to explore the whole situation of what was going on in the world at the time um, and why this was happening in Australia. So um, just I, I found it very, very interesting. Thank you. Um, so that's ages 10 and 11, Yankee Girl and Interned. Catherine Ross, our book critic today, with uh, books on a theme of historical fiction from a female perspective. Uh, going a little bit older than Catherine? Yeah, so um, this, again, 11 to 12, probably a little bit um, in, at the top end of that. Uh, Displaced. I think this got quite a bit of publicity when it was published a few years ago. It is a New Zealand one. Um, and it's sort of set in 1871, and it is about a family coming down from England and settling in New Zealand. Um, they're forced to sort of move down. They're not particularly keen on it. And they have this terrible, terrible sea voyage. Uh, and so it's a very broken family that arrives in New Zealand, and it's obviously a very different place to what they were promised. And I think that it's, it's written from the perspective of Eloise, who's a teenage girl of, of the family. And the author, um, Christina Sanders, has conspired events so that the women of the family are pretty much left to establish themselves and look after themselves um, in New Zealand. So it, it just gives that totally different look at settler life. Um, and it's, it's really well researched, but it's, it's very well written as well. You can almost feel, you know, you're wearing these long, heavy skirts trailing through the mud. Hmm. And, you know, you're having to these blisters on your hands from, from chopping wood and all sorts of things. But I think for me, the, the key thing about this that made it very interesting was that while it's never explicitly stated, the older sister is portrayed as having all the characteristics of being on the spectrum. And so how they dealt with that in those times, obviously she was considered sort of quirky or different. Or, yeah. um, and I think that it, it, Sanders has done a very good job of imagining what her life would be like and what reactions to her would be like. Although I think she's probably a little bit optimistic in how people would have dealt <laughs> yeah, with it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been an interesting sort of journey over the last few years of um, going from a time where there was no characters on the spectrum to characters on the spectrum and that's all the story was about till now we sort of seem to be in a zone where people will be on the spectrum and it will just be a thing about a character um not necessarily like the basis of a whole book yeah yeah and i think that's that's important that's 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 a good um development to have 
um, it's just part of the story and part of who this person is. And mm. I think I've not seen that in a historical narrative. Yeah, before. that's right. Actually, this is probably a, probably yeah. an even uh, yeah a fourth example. Thank you. That's called yeah. Displaced by Christina Sanders, and then the foreshadowing by Marcus Sedgwick. Yes. Yeah, so this is a, this is an interesting one because it is authentic, it's very authentic historically, but there is an element of supernatural and unexplainable. So it's not a straightforward historical narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is about Sasha, who's 17. She's from a very well-to-do English family. Her father's a doctor. Her brother's studying to be a doctor. Um, she wants to be a nurse, but of course, young women from her class don't work. They get married, and their husbands go out to work. Uh-huh. Um, but, of course, World War One breaks out, um, and the, the, all the men disappear, and the hospital starts filling up with these terribly, terribly wounded soldiers. So she finally gets her chance to help. Um, and is taken to the hospital where her doctor, her father is a doctor. Um, unfortunately, this reveals that she has this particular ability. If a person is about, if their death is imminent, if she touches them, she is able to see their death uh, quite often hmm. in gory detail. Hence the foreshadowing. Yes, the foreshadowing, yeah. So of course, all of these poor soldiers who have come back to the hospital to be patched up and then sent back out to the front, um, you can imagine what she's seeing all the time. Uh, but when her brother comes home from leave, on leave from the front and she realises that he is about to mm. die, she decides that she's going to change his fate. Mm, so great. it's a bit cheeky to call it historical narrative because obviously there's that supernatural element, but it's very well done sort of looking at the society and the attitudes of the time, uh, especially from the woman's point of view. But also it's quite an interesting look at what was going on at home with the wounded soldiers because obviously you've got the physical wounds, but you've also got that shell shock, as they were calling it then, and how people perceived that and treated it and how the soldiers were treated, the soldiers that had it were treated. Um, so, yeah, I, I will say this. The end is a little bit far-fetched. Um, there's a lot of sort of serendipitous, unlikely moments where she manages to get through all the trenches and the front lines and to her brother. Um, but I guess you're accepting of the foreshadowing and the supernatural element, so you can, yeah, accept this part of it as well. It sounds right up my daughter's alley. And by the way, while we're on it, she's really enjoying one. And I'm not sure if this has come up in conversation. You get through so many books, Catherine. I can't yes, see it on our website. Yes. Uh, the Librarian of Auschwitz. Yes. Oh, yes. That's a very popular one. Yeah, she's um, loving that at the moment. Okay, because there is, I think there's two sequels to that one now. Okay, well, that's good news for her. Yes. Um, and a quick look at an older, older age group, age 14 plus. Yeah, so 14 plus. These are more or less adult books now. Um, so this particular one, uh, Ribbons of Scarlet, I was very fascinated in. Uh, it's one of my favourites I've read for in a while, both for the concept and the writing. So this is six female authors, well-known female authors who are doing very well uh, winning awards with their own novels, were asked to come together to produce a narrative of the French Revolution told entirely from the perspective of women. Um, So each author writes a different character story, and they're true historical figures, um, and that moves the story of the revolution along. So you go from the beginning to the end, but it's not a six separate stories. It's not a collection of short stories. It is a narrative. And you can see that the authors have worked very closely together to make sure that the narrative continues and the details are accurate. Um, it really captures that chaos, the oppression, and the utterly out of control nature of the of the revolution. You know, that, mm. that we know that you know people in power then you know two years later found themselves getting their heads chopped off. Um, but it's really interesting looking at it from the perspective of women who have nothing in common other than being wrapped up in this or caught up in this kind of bloodshed and terror and just trying to do their best. Um, 
So look, I mean, for me, read it for the history because it's accurate and it's very, very in-depth. Read it for the slightly different focus of the history or read it for the beautiful, challenging writing. But read this book. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Ribbons of Scarlet. One more. Um, Oh, this looks good as well, Catherine. I'm so glad that you um, get through books at the pace that you do. I love all your recommendations. And this one's called The Five. The five. So this is brilliant. It is. I'll be. I'll be honest. It's a non-fiction book, so it's a bit cheeky to have it in this in this um, section. But she writes so beautifully, it almost reads like like fiction. Um, it sets out with a very specific purpose. So um, the five. Is, it's the untold lives of the women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. But the author, Reuben Hold, is very clear that this is not a book about Jack the Ripper. As far as she's concerned, he has had enough airtime, yeah. um, you know, and the, that sort of the insidious nature of him has, has kept us all enthralled for hundreds of years or hundred odd years. Um, and it's time that he gets pushed aside and that the story of the women uh, whose lives were lost at his hands um, are brought back. And so... It's it's actually a fascinating reality track check for me for that accepted narrative that we have that you know the idea that all these women were prostitutes that was their actions that sort of led them to be in that place and at that time. Yeah. But the reality is that actually none of them were prostitutes. Only one was ever known to have actually worked as one, and then not regularly. None of them were from Whitechapel. Most of them came from secure jobs, secure families, and it was either society or the action of others that sort of put them on the path of Jack the Ripper. And some of them, most of them weren't from London. One of them wasn't even from Britain, which I didn't know. Um, and I just love the way that he, Jack the Ripper is barely mentioned in this book. As soon as his part in the story comes in, we move on to the next woman. You know, so he is not the focus of this, that voyeuristic kind of fascination mm. with the grim and the violence of this historical event uh, is moved on. And it's more like a biography, yes, of these women, but also of the culture and the time and what it was like for women at this time and how they ended up in this place. Um, and I just think it's, it's very, very well written, very worth reading because it just changes your whole perspective on it. Um, and it is about giving back the victims a voice and their own identity. Catherine, thank you. It's a great list of books for all ages. I really appreciate the time you've put into it. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Jesse. Catherine Ross, uh, Talking Books. She's Library Manager at Mount Ross School Grammar School. And aren't those kids lucky to have her?